location and facility for this, and we really, really do appreciate this opportunity to be with you. While it's devoted to shepherds and spouses, it's certainly, we've had others who espouse to be elders, and we hope it even influences others in their own just journey and walk, and so it's been a very good several days. If you are a shepherd, would you and your spouse please stand? I just I would like the congregation here to know that you are you're in high cotton today and you're among some wonderful people and we want to thank you again for your service. You may be seated, but I just wanted uh those who worship here regularly to know uh To know what a special day it is to have these church leaders uh, worshiping with you today. And uh, we hope that the sheep are all okay and not totally unattended elsewhere in the western part of the United States today uh, as you're here worshiping together. There is a lot of things that we could say to wrap up the weekend, and this is for what we're doing this morning. And I was thinking, okay, I'm talking to the congregation as a whole, but this is still to shepherds and their spouses and church leaders. Where do we bring these two together? And it basically comes under the whole rubric of humility. And the scripture a brother just read at the Lord's Supper is a great place for me to start, before I'm going to start, where Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 2, with all humility... And gentleness. Does Paul ever annoy you? He uses, I don't know who taught him Greek, but he uses the word all way too often. I mean, if Peter said with some humility and gentleness, I'm good. I'm good. There's a lot of times, you know, I can be humble. But with all humility, it's like he now put the bar up here and said, oh, come on, give me a break. You don't know some of the people I have to work with. And then there's gentleness that goes with humility. I can be gentle, but it's hard. God gave us two daughters out of our first three children to help me learn to be gentle. <laughs> that can help you. Paul was humbled. When was Paul humbled to now come back and tell every church he writes to be humble? He was humbled on the road to Damascus. Three years in Arabia, just getting his head screwed back on right because he was so cocky and proud in his religiosity that he couldn't see who God was. And did he see? But he had to be blinded to see. And sometimes we have to be blinded by the brightness of the glory of God to see where we truly stand in His presence. And then there's Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, which is the, the reading that we just had a moment ago. And you find Peter saying even more about it, and this was the text that helped me decide to stay with this theme this morning, because Peter in 1 Peter 5 is talking to elders. He's talking to shepherds. And he's telling them how to shepherd the flock and to be examples to the flock. And it's pretty clear by the time you get to the verse 5, to clothe yourselves 
all of you with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's what He wants church leaders to be. People who are known for humility. But then He talks to all the rest of us. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Paul tells us to be, all of us, to be humble. Peter says all of us are to be humble and humble ourselves before God, and in due time, He will truly lift us up. So when did this lesson start for Peter? When was he humbled? I think I know when. It's in Luke chapter 5, and that's our text for the lesson this morning, from Luke chapter 5. But let me put it in the geographic and actual topographical setting that it was in. It's at the Sea of Galilee. We're on the Sea of Galilee in chapter 5. This is one of my favorite, that is my favorite place on earth. Montana's up in the top five, but it's definitely my favorite place. We lived near the Sea of Galilee for five years, and I've been fishing in it. I've taken, I don't know how many tourists uh, to see the Sea of Galilee. This is a view looking from almost over Nazareth, looking northeast over the Sea of Galilee. You can see in the top left corner the snow tops of Mount Hermon. So you folks would know what snow is. There's people in the world that don't even know what that is. But the snow top of Mount Hermon. And then the, the dead, this is the southern part. The Jordan River starts here and goes down to the Dead Sea. And it, the snow melt and springs provide water into the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan here. Dan would read about there. And it's this sea, sea, this lake, that uh, all of this takes place in. Now, it's interesting as we read Luke chapter 5, verse 1, that the reference that Luke makes to this, he calls it the Sea of Gennesaret. Gennesar was a little town uh, right here where that circle is on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. This is where most of the Jews lived. The Gentiles lived on the other side of the lake. That's where the pigs were that were taken. Jews don't eat pork, so... There were no Jews on that northwest side of the lake. You didn't have pigs. You had it on the east side of the lake. So all of these villages and synagogues that Jesus visited in, those would be all around that northwest side, the population, Jewish population on the northwest side of the lake. This is another view looking from the north back toward Capernaum and Migdal and Gennesar. And this is where Luke refers to the lake with its Jewish name. It's the Lake of Gennesaret. The village of Gennesar was right here on the northwest corner. And now I'm looking again back toward Mount Hermon from the cliffs of Arbel. And right there is Gennesaret. Just on around on the north side is Capernaum. So I am pretty confident that the story I'm going to read next comes somewhere between those two arrows. I also know that having fished on the east side of the lake, I will have to walk out and we would fish with some nets. I would walk out from here to about the the doorway of the building before I get this deep. And it's just a slow, steady, until you get out about the middle in the north part of it, above the arrow on Gennesaret, and that is a deep part of the lake. 
It is extremely deep there. So somewhere, I think probably around Capernaum, since that's where Peter lived, they were, they'd been fishing all night, because at night the fish come up. They're around, you can get them. In the middle of the day, they're going to go deep. And none of your nets that go about this deep are going to catch any fish. So if you know anything about fishing, you're going to know you're not going to go out to the deep during the day and catch anything except maybe some minnows and tear up your nets. A couple of decades ago, when there was a drought in Israel, the water table, water level went so low on the Sea of Galilee, lowest it's been in, in almost a century, and people living in the Kibbutz Genesar actually found the remains of a first century boat. And uh, National Geographic's done a great job telling you how they actually extracted that out because once the wood hit the air, it would have just dissolved. So they had to find an incredible method to get that boat out and preserve it in a lab. And then they, it's on display now at Kibbutz Genesar. It's called the Jesus Boat, which has brought in a lot of revenue for a very secular, atheistic kibbutz. <laughs> so Jesus blesses people for centuries. This is Lake Gennesar from the, the Gentile side looking back across the lake and that boat is about where the really deep part is. And they built about 20, they as a, an enterprising secular Jew, built about 20 of these boats using the model of the Jesus boat and you can go out on that boat today. Uh, this was a couple of years ago and if you look real close, that's Patty Laird in the bottom left corner when she was on this trip out on the Sea of Galilee. We go out there, cut off the engine, and have a devotional. Talk about PowerPoint. That's the best PowerPoint I've ever had as I just go around the lake and, and tell the stories of so much that happened on the Sea of Galilee. This is Capernaum, the excavation of Capernaum, and this is going to be in our story in just a moment. This is the synagogue, and this is traditionally the house of Peter. It was um, about from here to the other side of the parking lot. When you go out of the synagogue across the street, you're in the house of Peter and his mother-in-law. And we're going to see this story in just a second. All right, let's read the text. Luke chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Luke, the historian that he is, uses really the proper name of the lake. He's the only one of the gospel writers that uses this name. All the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and John, call it the Sea of Galilee. Well, this is influenced by Isaiah 9.1, and it's sort of the Jewish traditional view of it, and it has to do with the translation of Yom that could be either sea or lake. And, you know, a place that's 13 miles by 6, probably in our language today, wouldn't qualify as a sea. It's the lake of, either the Roman is Lake of Tiberias or Canaret, or in this case, the Lake of Gennesaret, which is a reflection of, it's this Jewish side, this northwest corner of the lake. It gives you a clear indication of where this is taking place. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down, 
and taught the people from the boat. So, what's going on here? I think, again, it's probably right there close to Capernaum. They've come in. They've been out all night. Didn't catch much. They're, they're working on their nets. And Jesus knows Peter, James, and John. He sees them doing it. Their boats are right here nearby. So he gets in one and says, Simon, would you... And he uses his Jewish name. Simon, uh, I need your help a minute. Why does he need his help? If you notice in those pictures how wavy the, the Galilee is, it also tells you kind of what time of day it is because in the mornings it's more choppy. The east side is more calm and so when you go fishing, you go on the east side in the morning uh, for sure. But a lot of times during seasons of the year because of the wind going down through the Rift Valley, it gets a bit choppy. So if you go out in a boat, someone's going to have to keep rowing a little bit to keep the boat in place. And so he did that. But I think Jesus was very strategic. If you want to get somebody's attention, like Simon, you're going to say, he picked Simon. He could have done James and John. And we know he's going to be close to John, but he picked Simon. So he got Simon. Talk about a captive audience. Simon, I need you to help me. And so Simon's going to hear every word of this lesson, right? And he's probably going to know, when's he going to be done? Because now he's sitting out here trying to keep the boat in a position where the crowd can all see him and they don't you know, crowd him that much and they can hear what he says. And that, the voice resonates over the water too. It's, I mean, it's, it's a good, good place to do some teaching. But I think he, ha- he intentionally picked this boat and he picked Simon. Because something's going to happen. When you encounter Jesus, you don't always know what's going to happen. And he certainly didn't know what was going to happen that day. He just had a bad day fishing. Wasn't too happy a camper. And here Jesus now gets in his boat. And then when he gets through fishing, he thinks, finally, we can go in. And Jesus says, uh, no, i got an idea. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little uh, from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon... Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon said, "Uh, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Now we're going to find in the next verse, verse 6, but when they had done, so apparently what happens here, we didn't get all the, the facts. When he said we need to go out deep, Peter goes, hey guys, I need somebody to come help me. And then the other boat followed them that had James and John. So now there's three in this boat. And if you know, that's a pretty small boat. It's eh, not much longer than this. With not, not very deep. And so here they go out to the deep. And if you'll notice how Peter responds, it, I think it's important to get what happens next. When he said, the word translated master can really be translated boss. So when, when someone like, oh, let's take Jeff that was here this week. Although Jeff's not here this morning, is he? He is back here? Oh, there's Jeff. Okay. You know, Jeff's been kind of running the show. So if Jeff says, ever you need to go do this, say, okay, boss, I'll go do it. If you, I mean, I don't think it's going to make sense, but I'll go do it. That's pretty much the sarcasm that was in this. Okay, boss, if you say so. But in his mind, he's saying, 
What in the world could a rabbi who's lived all his life in Nazareth, who's a carpenter, know anything about fishing? I've lived on this lake all my life. And anybody who knows anything would know at this time of day, you're not going to catch anything out deep with nets. Like, duh. But you know, you're the rabbi, I'm going to respect the rabbi, I'll go out. That's pretty much what, you know, it doesn't come across just in plain English, but this is what's going on here. Peter was like, what does this guy have to teach me? Now, he knows stuff about God. I heard that stuff and all, but he sure doesn't know anything about fishing if that's what he wants to do. Look what happened. When they had done this, they in, the ESV has an interesting way to describe it. They enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. The reason they do this is when you do this net fishing, it's also called seine fishing, where you've got a 30-foot and you pull it in. But out that far out, that's why they have to have two boats. We did it from the shoreline and we get out to about this deep and then pull the net in. They now have two boats doing it. And so it enclosed a lot of fish. And I'm sure, I'm sure Peter's looking at it and going, I have been here all my life. And I've never, at this time of day, seen this many fish. What are they doing up so high? They usually go deep at this time of day. What is going on? Then he calls the guys over and says, let's get what we can. So they fill both boats. Now, what would your response be? My response, if I'm an enterprising businessman, would be, whoa, you can be CEO of our fishing industry. Because we are now in business. We will never have another night to fish and never get fish. If you know where there's this much fish in the middle of the day, you're on our team. And then he began to think, well, he already, he's, if he's known this, what's he doing walking around with no place to lay his head? He has no home. I mean, we know where he's eating and sleeping in Capernaum for these, this year or whatever. I mean, it's like he's from now. This guy, what's going on here? What is there so important about what he's doing that he would give up a lucrative business of fishing to do this? I'm hoping I'm filling in the gap so you'll understand the reaction because if you don't have that gap filled in, it's like, I don't see where this is coming from because look what Peter did. They signaled to their partners, James and John, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a man Sinful man. Oh Lord. Now we went from, yeah boss, to the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Do you see a change of heart? Has he been humbled? He thought he knew more about Jesus, more about fishing than Jesus did. He thought he knew more about life than Jesus did. He thought he knew more about eternity than Jesus. He was just a good Jew that went to the synagogue. 
But something else is going on because the day before, if you go back to the previous chapter, he saw that Jesus had healed his mother-in-law of a fever. And he saw he cast out demons, so he knew something was going on. And now it was pretty, you know, he, he was scratching his head. But at this point, it's like, oh my, I've got divinity sitting in my boat. Now, if we're literal about this, when he says, depart from me, <laughs> I guess he already assumed Jesus could walk on water because he didn't, hadn't at that time. The only way he could depart from him was to get up and walk on water. And if we read the Gospels, Jesus hadn't walked on water yet. But what was he saying? He was basically saying, and this is just a statement of humility before God, I am not worthy to be in the same boat with you. I am not worthy to be in the same boat with you. Sidebar for elders. How many times have you felt not worthy to be in the same boat with Jesus to be responsible for the people of God? I'm not worthy of that. And yet, look what Jesus did. Because He could have totally agreed with Peter. Peter told the truth. He's right. He is not worthy. He is a sinful man. And Jesus is Lord. Those are those are statements of truth. He got it. But what was he going to do with it? And he and all who were with them were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Now, this is not what I would have, if I'd written the story, if I'd have been Luke, finding out the story after the fact, you know, getting, doing his research, I would have asked, are you sure that's what he said? And they said, yeah, that's what he says. Well, okay. What I would have rather have heard him say is, we heard your teaching from the boat and we now want to follow you. That's not what astonished them. So, it's okay, Chris, if people are not just astonished when you preach on Sundays. Some other thing may happen in people's lives to get their attention and then they're ready to hear the Word of God. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus had him, had him caught. He was listening, caught, heard all the Word. The people were wanting to hear the Word more than... Remember, the multitude came around. The verse, first verse, they came to hear the Word of God. Simon could have done the same thing. If my mother-in-law had been healed the day before, I think I'd have been in that group. Not where Simon was. Eh, I my nets are more important. We gotta, I, you know, I'm busy today. So he gets him in the boat so he can hear what he's saying. And it's still, the words of Jesus have not astonished him yet. Our humility is going to be reflected in how astonished we are in both the words of Jesus and what Jesus does in all of our lives on a daily basis. An amazing catch of fish can humble people. Peter, it's amazing maybe what's going to humble you. God's going to work in your life in unbelievable ways that something's going to get your attention and you'll have to conclude it had to be God that did this. Now once I know it had to be God that did this, I'm going to know what, he, what else He can say. I want to listen to God. I'm now a ready follower of Jesus. I'm ready to be a disciple of Christ. So what does Jesus say in response? How gracious. How gracious and merciful He was. 
And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. <laughs> Had he not been in this posture of... On, I mean, picture him. He's now in this boat on, in front of the knees of Jesus. Almost as if Moses was bowed before God in Exodus 34. You know, here he is before him. And he says, it's okay. I, I'm, I see potential in you and you're going to be fishers of men. Again, I could hear maybe Peter, it, you know, he, he speaks before he thinks. And go, well, yes, boss, if you say so. Since you'd already said that before. If, if that's what you say, doesn't make sense to me. So are we surprised, as Luke tells the rest of the story, that one of the greatest fishers of men shows up in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost as Peter preaches and tells him to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He was humbled and became a fisher of men and became a servant of God. I see some interesting things taking place here. Now, Peter and James and John... This get back to shore, the boat comes back to land, and it says they left everything and followed him. And every time I've read this, I've thought, okay, Luke, couldn't you have told us more about this? And Luke is saying, my book is already too big between this and Acts. I can't write anymore. But I would love to have heard more about that because it seems like a really huge decision was made in one little boat ride. But you know, when it's the right decision, why does it take you so long to make it? Why waste any more time? If you had opportunity to be with Jesus, the Son of God, you'd get out of that boat too and say, I'll follow you. Because He's only going to be there for three years and that's it. And if you had only three years to be with Jesus, I think I'd move pretty quickly. And that's apparently what He did. And we think of all the episodes of Peter, I don't see any of them Really, being a problem of pride, I see it more of a... He was impetuous, but he was incredibly humble and passionate about following Jesus. So passionate, he couldn't stand to see him crucified. So Jesus had to kind of back him off at one time. But he was humble in the willingness to follow Jesus, but he just was ignorant a lot of times. He didn't know the right thing to do. But even when he denied that he knew Jesus... His humility helped him survive and he became a wonderful apostle of Christ. Judas did not have the same humility and when he denied Christ and betrayed Him, he couldn't survive. He did not see his life worthy because he'd never been in the boat and humbled by Jesus as Peter had and, Jesus, and heard... I can't imagine how many times Peter would have heard the words of Jesus. It's okay. It's okay. Don't be afraid. You're going to be on my team. From now on, you'll be fishers of men. That's going a long way from kind of insulting Jesus to following Him in a very short period of time. And yet, as followers of Christ... Sometimes we take a long time to do it. Sometimes we can do it quickly. 
Let me wrap up with some things that we can learn from this episode that applies to all of us and certainly to church leaders. Jesus brought the Word of God into the world of boats and fishing rather than requiring them to meet Him in the synagogue. He could have said, okay guys, I'll be at the synagogue from 6 to 9 o'clock tonight. Now I want you all to be there at that gospel meeting. But God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son to a stinking fishing boat on the west, northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus knew He was sent, so He sent, He went, and got in the boat with Peter. How many people have you gotten in the boat with? He got in the boat with sinners and publicans. Remember, He got criticized for that all the time. But He knew why He was sent. He got in the boat with them. And in those moments... Revealed to them who God was and what His mission was about. Secondly, Jesus challenged Peter's priorities at the deepest level. I mean, it's ironic that they went out into the deep of the Sea of Galilee, but He just took Peter deep. Deep into his own life, deep into his own attitudes, and deep into his own priorities to where he realized there's more to life than the business I'm involved in. That the kingdom of God is more important than business. Whether it's my business of fishing or carpentry or whatever it is. Even when I could totally succeed in that business. Jesus had His priorities straight. And it realigned Peter's priorities. And then Peter's view of Jesus and of himself changed pretty radically that day out in the boat. Now he's more than just a rabbi with some unusual powers. He's now the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's the Savior who accepts sinners like himself. Some pretty profound lessons were learned in an unexpected place at an unexpected time. And by the way, that's the way God usually works. How does that apply to us as we follow Jesus? Jesus is the Word of God. He was sent into the world. And as a result of that, we go where the Lord sends us, often into deep water. My experiences as an elder sent me into some deep waters. If you haven't felt like you're almost drowning as an elder at times, I'd be real surprised. Or if you didn't say, "Mm, I didn't sign up for this. Or, I, had, I didn't see that coming. I had no idea it would be this hard. I had no idea I would have to study and really research that out because I really don't even care about that topic. I had no idea people's problems were that complex. I had no idea how people struggle emotionally in ways that I can't even fix. On and on it goes where we go deep. And we don't have a choice except to believe that Jesus is going to be in the boat with us and He's the Lord and we're going to stay with Him. Except you and I are not going to tell Him to depart. We're going to say, come Lord Jesus and stay with us and be with us. Jesus set His priorities right as serving people rather than fishing. So we seek first the kingdom of God rather than our own desires. And as I've mentioned yesterday, I want to say again today, how much we appreciate all of you willing to lead churches. This is volunteer. This is sacrificial. It 
It has an emotional cost. It has a time cost to it. It is not easy. But is it worth it? Absolutely. The difference it makes in the lives of people. You know, we met this weekend. I got thinking, this is probably the largest gathering of church leaders of the Church of Christ anywhere west of the Mississippi. We didn't come together as a as a conference to decide what's supposed to be believed in all the churches of Christ or how we're supposed to spend our funds this next year. That's not what we did, really. Right? What I saw coming together was a lot of humble people seeking ways to be better equipped to serve God and lead His people. And that there is really no higher authority than Christ in our churches. And as shepherds, we lead and lead His flock. It's His flock. It's His Son that paid for that with His blood. It's His. And we're, we were reminded of that. So we're not here to decide what every church does. Because we're all here continually seeking to do His Word. And like the crowds around the Sea of Galilee, we are the crowds around Jesus listening to His Word. We want to know His Word to guide us and lead us because that's where we find our strength. And then lastly, Jesus humbled Himself and got into their boats. So we accept people where they are and lead them to become disciples who invite other disciples to follow Christ. That is the mission that we have as church leaders and the mission we have as a church. It can't be done if we know all the answers to every question. It can't be done if we have the last word on everything. It's only done when we point Jesus to the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. So here's what happened. Again, look at verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the Word of God, incredible motivation, positive motivation. I hope you came this morning to hear the Word of God, and each morning you wake up wanting to hear the Word of God. So much so they were crowding Jesus and pushing Him out in the water. And I'll tell you, that northwest side of the lake is extremely rocky. Because you may think, well, why didn't you just step out there? Well, you don't just step out there. On the east side, the Gentiles actually had the better side of the lake. Because not only is it a nice slope, it's nice, sort of sandy. And you can just kind of walk out in it. And it's a lot easier to baptize on the Gentile side than the Jewish side, ironically. So to think that he could just go out there, he's got these rocks he'd have to stand on, and it really wouldn't work. Physically, it wouldn't even work well. So he needed to be in that. They were pushing him up to the very edge. I'm sure it didn't bother him if he got his sandals wet. But it's going to be hard to stand up there and and, and even focus on what you're going to say. They wanted to hear him teach. And then the end result of it, the one Jesus teach with Simon, Peter, and James, and John, because something's going to happen to these guys. They're now going to be disciples of Christ, who he's going to put a lot of delegated responsibility and spiritual authority on. And he wants the apostle Peter to be a humble follower, to follow him. I don't know how deep you've gone into the water, and certainly you would expect me to end this lesson to say, are you in the same boat with Jesus? What a great place to use that reference. And if you're in the boat with Jesus, is it a source of pride or a source of humility? Is it a source of surprise or a source of predictability? 
Because if you're in the boat with Jesus, you're not always going to know how this is going to turn out. You don't know the future. There's a lot of things you don't know other than our life is in His hands. And there's no one better to care for us than Jesus. Even if you feel like the boat is sinking because you've got too many fish in it, don't worry. Jesus will get you back to the shore. Maybe it's a bit silly to think it, but I'm thinking, okay, it says they immediately followed Him. What happened to the two boatloads of fish? <laughs> it acts like they just left it and followed Him. Are you at that point in your own life, if you haven't decided to follow Jesus and become a Christian, there is no better time than right now with these people who can pray for you and welcome you into the body of Christ and the family of God. And if you've been thinking about it and want to be baptized and become a Christian today, we would love to encourage you and minister to you in that way. Or if you're still in your some cynicism and you just really haven't committed to Christ, even though you've been baptized, but you've not been really faithful in that calling and following Him and you want to renew that faith in Him today, let us pray with you as we stand and sing this song.